You're listening to the Chancellor Pink Podcast on Chancellor Pink Radio. Hi, it's your Chancellor, and I'm here to provide just a little bit of feedback on the Pittsburgh Steelers' final preseason game. Some of you might be going, oh, God, no, please, not another Steelers podcast. Chancellor, we never listened to you for that. Why are you doing this to us? Why? Why? And my answer is because I fucking want to. That's why. No, because someone has to. Someone has to speak for the fan. And I know that I don't have a blog to support it or I'm not a media person. I don't go in there and smell the sweat dripping off the athlete's forearms. But, or scrotums, because some of the media do get down very low to, to, to see it uh, drip. I still... Uh, have a right to speak god damn it and, and i think it's important that someone stand up for the voice of just a fucking dumbass know nothing fan who happens to know something okay so now we're heading into the season the new season the season of the of the ben roethlisberger's witch and uh <laughs> you've got to take up every stitch on his elbow this is the elbow stitch season of Ben Roethlisberger's Witch. Anyway, I want to start off the podcast by mentioning a debate I had online with, not really a debate, it was dumb, with, uh, with uh, Alex Kazora, he of the terrible podcast and the website as well, that is uh, called something else. I don't even care. I don't know. I don't into all the websites. I'm into the podcast. But this guy's in his 20s, somewhere in his 20s, and I used to really respect him a lot, but the more he's debated me, taking me on with Twitter, I, I have less respect for him. And I don't know if you, anyone who's debated anybody on Twitter, but it's a hard place to argue. Nobody ever wants to be wrong. There's no uh, congenial resolution. But in particular, uh, sports media on Twitter, uh, I, I've said this before, but... Too often, what's more important to them than doing their job, which is providing information to the fans who are paying their salaries, is being right. They need to be right, especially in the preseasons. It's all this crap about predictions, and they have gone on the record with predicting which player will be cut and which will make the team, and that's extremely important to them, and it doesn't matter. Even when they end up being wrong, they'll twist it and rationalize it so that they weren't wrong. And they'll tell you, as Alex Kazora did to me on Twitter the other day, believe me, I have no problem admitting when I'm wrong. But, I mean, he was lying. He's a liar. Because none of these people ever admit they're wrong. And if they do, it's only when their boss or somebody else at their publication, one of the other mighty media people, make fun of them and mock them when they're wrong. But they would never, they, and they never do admit they're wrong to a fan. Ever, ever, ever. And Alex Kazora never will. And he's as big a punk as anyone else out there in terms of the arrogance and the and the rage. So here's the issue. The uh, Last night, um, Alex Kazora, uh, for some reason uh, or another, has chosen to believe that Ray Ray McLeod is going to be the Steelers' number five wide receiver, and they're still going to stick with him as a punt returner. Well, coming into last night's game, uh, Matthew Sexton, uh, a rookie wide receiver, had looked quite good as a punt returner. It was exciting. And anyone who's actually been watching the Steelers, which I know, I know Alex Kazora has. I know he has. 
can see that Raymond McLeod started out last season as a very good punt returner. But by the second half of the season, or at least the last third, he wasn't doing anything. Like most of the team was starting to fade. He faded big time. So, and he's a bad receiver. And he's a bad, he adds zero on the playing field. And everyone pretty much agrees with that. So, last night in the game, Sexton... Everyone with a brain is rooting for Sexton, and we're hoping people like Alex Kazora are wrong. Kazora's argument was, you know, you'd like some consistency in the in the kick return game and the punt return game, and the Steelers haven't had the same punt returner in back-to-back years since, I don't know, the turning of the Ice Age or something, whatever. He had some stat. And so he thought it was more important than having actually someone who's good to just have a guy that you've had before, apparently. Where everyone else was like, hopefully Sexton nails down this job tonight because he looks exciting, and I want someone I'm excited to watch return punts, not Ray Ray McLeod. And by the way, by the way, and I hope, I knock on wood, I hope I'm wrong about this, but before McLeod came to the Steelers, he had like three fumbles in his history, a couple with Dallas and one with the other team he was with. He was, he was actually, cons- you know, the reason he had been cut wasn't because he wasn't fast or quick enough or elusive enough in the return game, but because he was, had terrible hands. Okay, that's an important fact to remember for this podcast, but also for the coming season. It's always hanging over his head. When someone when someone has fumbleitis, whether it's a running back or a return guy, you never quite forget about that in today. And so even if they don't fumble for a while, like he didn't fumble for us last year, maybe when he coughs one up, when he's hitting coughs one up the next time, it'll start playing in his head again. Uh-oh, am I going to start fumbling again? And then he will. So the bottom line is you, you never want to see a guy that – I mean, he was a fumbler, period, when he came to us. You never want – really, you don't want guys like that because they never really quite get out of that. You have your guys that just generally don't fumble, and when they do, it's very – you know, there's a lot of gaps in time between their fumbles. And those are the guys you like because they, they never really become fumblers. But it's kind of like Steve Sachs with the Dodgers and and so on where a guy gets in it and it just gets a tick like uh, – Pedro Alvarez at third base, and he just couldn't suddenly stop. For, for a couple of years, he was great over there firing the ball to first, and then couldn't, you know, every other throw was off the mark to first base. And he just psychologically melted down, and they had to try to move him to first because he couldn't be trusted at third anymore. And Steve Sachs, if you remember, just kept throwing the balls over the first base. But then from second base, from second base, he couldn't throw it to first anymore. So they call it getting the yips or whatever. But it's true for fumblers, too. Um, once a guy starts fumbling, it, it, that's why I know with Mike Tomlin of the Pittsburgh Steelers, when a guy fumbles a ball even once, he makes a huge deal out of it. He'll bench them, he'll make them carry a ball around, you know, and he, he rides them about it. And the whole reason is, it's like by making it front and center in their mind and harping on it, the idea is they won't allow it to become this psychological fear that ends up becoming an issue. But so keep in mind the Ray Ray McLeod had a fumbling issue, mentally ill fumbling issue, a yipper type frequency to his fumbles when he came here. And then he didn't fumble all last year, and that's great. But it's always the sword of Damocles hanging over his fucking head and ours, okay? So he comes into this game. So I don't like that about him, that he's a fumbler, and I'm always thinking, when's he going to start fumbling? And B, he wasn't any good in the second half of last year. He wasn't. He was nothing special at all. And C, they tried to use him in the offense several, many times really last year, and he did nothing. He offered nothing. And he's a, 
little shrimpy little guy. And Matthew Sexton is like six foot at least. I think he's six one or six foot. Not a shrimpy guy. Uh, good school. I think he's I think he's Michigan State, so a good college background. Undrafted, but um, very fast. I think he has like four three speed or something. So I mean, hey, if the guy now he hadn't added anything as a wide receiver, but look, this is the fifth wide receiver. We don't need what Ray Ray McLeod added as a receiver. We don't need it, and nor do we want it. <laughs> um, but we want his punt returning if he's any good. Sexton looked really good. Sexton comes in last night. He muffs a punt and loses it, fumbles it. They call it a muff still when it's a fumble because he never had it. But um, And then he has another punt later in the game where he also bobbles it but falls on it and keeps it. So that was not a muff. It's just a mishandled uh, reception of the punt. Uh, but still, he had two mishandled punts in the game. But here's the issue. Um Ray Ray McLeod stunk in this game until the fourth quarter when he, when when they had to bring Haskins back in because Josh Dobbs got injured, and he hits Ray Ray McLeod with a couple passes, including a touchdown. Prior to that, there was a wonderfully thrown ball down the sideline to Ray Ray McLeod by Haskins, his only really good throw of the entire game because Haskins really stunk. But he drills it in there and drops it in, and Raymond McLeod's just clopping around, flapping like he has clown shoes on with his feet. And I don't even think he got one foot in. And he had plenty of space to get both feet in. And he made zero effort while concentrating on the catch to get his feet in. And that's not a wide receiver, folks. You know, wide receivers understand where they are on the sidelines. And the, the good ones, they don't even have to be great to do this. They both secure the football, especially on a perfectly thrown ball in stride as that one was. And they get their feet in. Well, Ray Ray McLeod secured the pass, but he made, not only did he not get his feet in, did he fail in the second effort that a, a quality wide receiver or just any kind of NFL caliber wide receiver would do, he didn't even try. He just ran and fell and wherever their feet landed, they landed. And it was it was awful. It was a disgrace. It was like, who is this guy? I don't know, but I don't want him on my team. And he's certainly not a wide receiver. He's some guy that, does something and they accidentally stuck him at wide receiver and he forgets what he's there for. And then, and then later in the game, a ball was thrown right into his bread basket and he dropped it. And I, if I'm not mistaken, I thought it was a third down pass or something. It's anyway, it was important. It was an important gain of yardage. It would have been a first down and he dropped it. And, 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 and then he, they tried a couple ends around. They tried some other things and he didn't run good either. So the point is, he stunk. It was an awful game for Ray Ray McLeod. And Sexton stunk. It was a bad game for him. But it wasn't as awful as Ray Ray McLeod. Why? Precisely because Ray Ray McLeod, it's his job to lose. So who's, who is worse? The player who's trying to make the club, who muffs a couple punts, and now he's probably not going to make it. Or the guy you're saying is your punt returner and your fifth receiver, looking like he doesn't belong in the NFL. In the final game, in the final tune-up game, which is worse? Hello, it's a no-brainer. And oh, by the way, Alex Kazora, who was really bashing Sexton over McLeod, and I wonder why. Here's why: because the talk was out there about Sexton, and he knew that. So Kazora goes out on a limb and says it's Ray Ray McLeod. So then they interpret what happens in the game so that it jives with their prediction. And he'll say, "That's not me. I don't do that at all." But it is. 
and it was in the debate with me, because he said goodbye to his chance, just from the muff and the fumble. He said, he's gone, and he just wrote him off, and some guy underneath him said, really, just from one play? What if he returns the next one for a touchdown? And um, so I jumped in and said he'd have to muff three punts to be as to look as bad in this game uh, as Ray Ray McLeod, which is true. And so what is what is the great and wonderful, same as any other idiot sports guy, Alex uh, Alex Kazora say under me? He says, "Well, he's already t- he's already up to two. Well, guess what? He was at two. When I left the comment, so what's your point, prickface? I mean, really? He, that's why I said three. Hello, you know. He said it like he was like, like, like got you, burned you, dummy. Like it's all this ego battle. It's like I said, he'd have to muff, muff three punts to look as bad as Ray Ray McLeod. They were talking. This was an old post where they were talking about the the prior, the very first muff fumble, but he had muffed another one. I said he'd have to muff three to look as bad in this game. And he said, well, there's two already. And I said, the point is that Ray Ray McLeod has a good argument for being the worst Steeler in this game, and that's really saying a lot, LOL, because the Steelers stunk. They were all terrible. And then he just went, hey, yeah, that's true, man. He said, they both don't look any good. And I let that go. But the correct response would have been, yes, you're right. Ray Ray McLeod looks like shit. I mean, honestly, even when I make a joke and say the point is Ray Ray McLeod has an argument, then he jumps back in and say, and only only will give me that they both look bad. And it's like, no, the whole point of the first comment was he he Sexton doesn't look as bad as Ray Ray McLeod. And muffing a punt isn't as bad as trying to show that you can actually bring a skilled wide receiver to your fifth wide receiver spot and showing that you don't belong in the NFL, period, as a wide receiver. So therefore, Ray Ray McLeod defined himself as all I can do with the Steelers, if anything, is return punts, which if you'll remember, fans, and Alex Kazora, I didn't do very well in the last six or seven games of the season. And here's the other thing which is kind of important. Alex Kazor is riding off Sexton into the sunset for his muffs and fumbles, which is the history of the great Ray Ray McLeod. He's a fumbler bumbler, and yet he did it in actual NFL games when he made the 53-man roster. Sexton's never had an opportunity to actually screw up you know, in the big time because he's never made a roster yet. But this wonderful Ray Ray McLeod, he's fumbled three times in prior, on prior, prior uh, punts, punt returns in NFL games. And, ha- and came to us with a history of fumbleitis and was blackmarked for that reason, for that very reason. So the very thing he's trying to act like it eliminates Sexton is still hanging over, like I said, the sword of Damocles over the great Ray Ray McLeod's head. Bottom line is this. You know, Ray Ray McLeod's going to make the team, it looks like, as the fifth receiver and going to be our punt returner. But boy... You'd have to be an idiot to be excited about that. And I don't know anyone who is. I mean, I'm hearing all everyone else talking after the game, and none of them like Ray Ray McLeod. And I'm not saying Alex Kazor did. Alex Kazor clearly didn't like Ray Ray McLeod either and said, yeah, they both look bad. My point is that it's the ego of taking down Sexton immediately with a tweet. Because why? Because you predicted that he wouldn't make the team. So you couldn't wait to say, gotcha, I was right, I was right. Look, he's gone, he's gone now, I was right. And when someone like me, Ray McLaughlin, stands up for the fan who was below him saying, really, he's gone already? So I decided to jump in there and say, hey, yeah, Ray McLeod looks awful. You know, is what I basically said. And then he has to come back and go, well, 
your boys muffed another one. And I said, yeah, I said three, too. And then he goes, you're right. They both look bad. No, no. And that's a compromise that I don't, I'm not giving you. No. The answer is you're all about your ego and the prediction you make. I didn't make any predictions. I'm not holding on to shit. I don't care. I'm just talking about truth. I'm watching the game with a, a perspective of someone who knows as much about watching football as Alex Kazora ever could. I don't care how many blogs he writes for, how many practices he goes to. I absolutely believe in my ability to evaluate talent when I'm watching football players over his and over lots of these media people because it doesn't take the all 22 watching that all 22 <laughs> to watch players. Now, you don't need an all 22 when you have VCRs back in the old days and the ability to rewatch games and rewind plays back or digital recordings of today. It's very easy to watch players when they matter. Now, as far as the only thing you can't see on the television feed is what the safeties are doing and how they're lined up. But what you can see is uh, what happens when the ball gets near them. And that's really all that matters because when you're talking about safeties and all that, if they're up on the, into the box and in, on the play, well, then you see that. And to the extent there, there's a deep ball thrown and then how they react to the ball is a very huge part of who they are. And everyone that knows anything about football knows that, too. So if all you see is the reaction of a safety to a throw, that's enough because that distinguishes the people who make teams and the people who get cut, the great safeties from the bad ones. Look at Troy Palomalo. It was all about how he reacted to the football. And it's about how you go up for the football when it comes down on you, when, it, when it's coming down. That determines whether or not you're a cornerback worth a damn, right? How many times do you see your cornerback? He's right there. He's plastered on the receiver, but then when the ball starts coming down, he's clueless, and the receiver goes up and grabs it, and he's, like, just throwing his arms around, flailing. Well, of course we understand why, because when you have to turn around to look for the ball, you're losing the receiver. It's very hard to transition, as they call it, from coverage to playing the ball. Very, very hard. But guess what? The good cornerbacks do it. And that's, again, guess who's able to see that even without the all 22, which is a camera angle that's up above that shows all 22 players. That's why they call it the all 22. It's like this end zone, high up camera angle where you can watch like little, but they're little dots. They're like, you watch like these little specks on the screen. We've all seen it. They show us all 22 footage sometimes during NFL games. You know, the, the networks have the feed and they will sometimes analyze plays using it. But so it's so that you can see both 11 players are on either side of the football, right? So that's 22. So you're seeing all 22 players. But the television feed, as you recall, is more lined up down low and to the side. And so you don't get you get everybody on offense. You get all 11 in offense and you get everybody in the front seven and usually two cornerbacks. So guess what? You're getting in your first shot. You're getting first shot. At least you're all 20. You're all 20. You may not get the last two, the safeties in the back. That's it. But usually, you know, if they come up and make a running stop, you see them. And if it's a throw deep, you'll see them. You'll see them. You'll see them when it matters, when they're playing the ball. Now, you can't analyze who fucked up on a play and who covered who and who should have covered who and all that. You can't really analyze that uh, without seeing the whole field and watching it. But guess what? Nobody's right anyway. And I've heard people that are smart like Dejan Kovacevic say, say that um, it's really – it's silly to pretend like you can be a, a know-it-all a football analyst because 
Even the coaches aren't sure half the time who was supposed to cover who. Only the players know who made the mistake and who, who you know, they pass off coverages on the field and they know what was supposed to happen. And even the coaches sometimes don't exactly know more than the players. So you know, this is someone who understands the game too, and Dejan, and that's what he's saying. So these people that you hear on the blogs or online who act like they see the all 22 and they can make the calls like there's some genius coach, it's bullshit. They're bullshitting you. The reality is all of us are equally talented at watching a play and seeing when someone does the job right and when someone fucks up. And none of us, including them, even with the glorious All-22, are able to psychically read everyone's minds and know what someone was supposed to do. We can make guesses. We can say, it looks like a blown coverage, looks like that linebacker was supposed to cut over and inside. I think that was his zone, but we're just guessing. None of us can know, and especially not the arrogant pricks who pretend like they do all the time and argue it about on Twitter with fans who act like the fans don't know anything and their knowledge is somehow superior because they're arrogant. Look, it's their job. I understand that it's what they're getting paid for. And you wouldn't want to argue with a, a, a garage mechanic about how to fix a car when you are a, a dentist. And you wouldn't want to argue with a dentist about what the right thing to do with your tooth is if you were an accountant. I get that some people specialize and they have talent and they make money in that field and we need to respect them at that. I just also get that it ain't sports writers. They have no talent. And I don't care if they spend 20 years of their lives covering a team. They got nothing on a fan, period. And I feel that way. The only thing they have to offer is they've met them and talked to them. You know, So I met Buddy Bubby Brister and interviewed him for the Carnegie Mellon Tartan when I wrote for the paper. And I did an interview with the backup quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers, Bubby Brister. Did that give me unusual insight into Bubby Brister? No, it just made me feel like I met him once. And whenever he got in the game, I was like, hey, I met that guy. That, that was it. That's all it did for me. Hey, I, 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 I talked to him once. So these media guys, they can go, hey, I've been in a locker room with Roethlisberger, and I, I asked him questions. I've done it a bunch of times. Oh, okay. Well, then let's tell me, was that a bad tackle or a good tackle? Let me, I'll watch it. I think it was bad. Well, I talked to Ben Roethlisberger 43 times, so I think it was bad too. So my opinion's more valid. You're right. That makes perfect sense. Thanks. I mean, it just, it doesn't add up. I go in the locker room and I feel the, the energy. I see it from the press box and I have to use binoculars. Look, everyone knows you don't go to, nobody goes to the games now. I mean, you get a better view of plays and a better ability to analyze football from watching it in the comfort of your own home with all the replays and everything else. It's just reality. It, it's actually worse. If you want to analyze football, don't go to the games. If you want to comment on what play, what happened, and, and, and how, what, who made a mistake on a given player, who played well and who didn't, you better be watching at home like us fans, us dumb, ignorant fans, because if you're at the game, you're not picking up on half the shit that we are. That's just reality. Because guess what? We fans go to games too. And we've actually been there and we've compared being at the game and how we pick up on the game and what we actually see and can know and when we watch it at home. And it's not even close. You get more from watching a football game at home on the TV in terms of being able to analyze what actually happened. So anyway, the point is this. I openly say I love listening to the podcast because and, and these people because I like people talking about the Steelers. And these are people that actually care, or at least some of them. Some of them are just doing their job and they're idiots. And they don't care, and you can tell, and I don't really like this. But 
Alex Kazor, for example, you can tell he, he's a fan. He actually cares. He cares about the Steelers. So it's, a, it's, it's good to listen to him because he has opinions. He's smart about the game of football. He watches it. Now, he does break down tape after the fact, and he understands the mumbo-jumbo, the different setups and play calls and all of that. So that's good, too. And a lot of fans don't bother, dig that deep and know all of that. But you, my point is this. You don't need to know the difference between a nickel, nickel and a dime or, you know, coverages uh, or, 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 or uh, uh, how an offensive play is set up in terms of the – is it a sidecar or is it, you know, uh, the tight package, double tight end uh, – you know, you don't need to know the lingo for all the setups and the way you, uh, the offensive lines align and all of that to understand uh, the performance of players and teams. And really, at the end of the day, does it really matter how the Steelers rearrange the contract in order to come under the salary cap? Or does it matter whether how much space is under the salary cap? Does it really matter how the Steelers were lined up on the offensive side of the ball, or does it matter how they executed the play? I mean, at the end of the day, we don't care about what's in the sausage. We just want to eat the sausage. And at the end of the day, for all of their knowledge that they have, they might have in terms of play alignments, et cetera, or even cap coverage or contract structuring, nobody cares about that. We just care about how much is he getting paid because that's we're curious. We don't care about how much was up front and how much was backloaded and how much could they lose if they cut it. That just, no, we only care about how it affects the cap each year because we want to know how much money they have to spend. That's it. It's really simple stuff. So when Dave Bryan on the terrible podcast goes on and on and on for hours and he pats himself on the back with how smart he is about the cap, everyone else is skipping forward. Nobody's listening to him. Nobody cares. Because anybody with half a brain knows this is all bullshit, double talk. It's all about his ego because it doesn't serve the purpose of enjoying the sport of football. Understanding how they rearrange it doesn't even matter to the fucking player. Do you get it? He doesn't even care except for how much of it is, is of the cash is guaranteed. You know, how much is he guaranteed to get in terms of money from a contract? But guess what? They tell us that as fans, too. We get that information. How much was it? How much is guaranteed? Okay, let's move on. How much counts against the cap this year? Okay. How much is left under the cap? Okay. You could literally give that information in two minutes, a minute and a half, 30 seconds. Dave Bryan takes 10, 15 minutes on the podcast to describe it all. Why? Because he's trying to brag about how smart he is at it. And he calls himself a nerd. Don't you hate that? The people that call themselves nerds as, as a means of bragging that they're smart. What they're really saying is, I'm really smart. Oh, I'm just such a nerd. It really means, oh, I'm just so smart. Well, guess what? Those of us who actually are smart, we don't call ourselves nerds because that's dumb. We don't want to be nerds. We want to be smart. And people that are actually smart don't call themselves nerds. And nerds just means you're somebody who gets lost in the minutia that smart people don't give a fuck about. Nerds just means you're talking about shit you should keep to yourself. You know? Nerds just means... You know, go off and play Dungeons and Dragons and leave the rest of us the hell out of that boring, weird shit, okay? That's what it really means to be a nerd. It means to be sharing stuff with people and they're laughing at you saying, not because you're so smart, because you're so stupid to think anybody gives a shit about the stupid stuff you're sharing. That's why you're a nerd. Because you're speaking when you should shut the fuck up. That's why you're a nerd. So anyway... 
My point is that the, the information that all these talking heads have about the, the minutia of, of the sport of football, it's irrelevant. I really like Dejan Kvorkovicevic, except when he talks about baseball because he lets his passion get out of control and he says ridiculous things and he just cares way too much and then he loses sight, he loses focus to the fact that the Pirates suck. And not only do they suck, but you know he gives credence to things they're doing like, like it isn't just bad. He starts to read into things too much and overthink things in baseball because he really wants them to be doing the right thing because he really has hope. When the reality is, you know, abandon all hope. All ye, uh, boy, abandon hope, all ye who enter. That's really what it's like to be a Pirates fan. But I digress. When it comes to football, he doesn't get lost in the know-it-all arrogance. Like Dale Lolly, who works for him, gets lost in the arrogance of knowing all about uh, every other team in the league because he plays in fantasy leagues. And so because he plays in fantasy leagues, he just happens to research all kinds of other players by name and this and that. But guess what? He screws up a lot, too. But don't let him don't let him know that you know that, that you're on to the fact that half the time he gets the names wrong and he's wrong about who's good and who's bad. But the bottom line is this. It's, a, it's again, if you're a fan, you like your team and your players, and that's okay. It's okay. I'm telling you, it's okay not to know the names of the other players or care about them, really. Unless there may be a local guy you saw or from a university you like, or you just like to know the great players. And if you just enjoy knowing about the great players in the NFL, good for you. That's fine, too. Whatever floats your boat. But the point is you don't need to have that information in order to analyze the Steelers, you know. I mean, you can tell without knowing anybody's name on a given play if your guy on your team outplayed the other guy or if that other guy was pretty good and made a better play. And you don't have to know if that other guy, you know, was their number one draft pick or was a free agent signing. You don't need to know. You just know that, yeah, he, he, he tipped your cap to, cap to him. He had a better play on that play. And so the watching of the tape, analyzing of the plays, it's all just boring. And none of us care about it, nor should we. We just care about hearing people talk about the team we love and having insight. And there are people that have some real insight and there are dummies. But either way, uh, their opinion is still just an opinion and yours is just as valid, period, even if you never interviewed Ben Roethlisberger, okay? So that's my point. And even the great Alex Kazora, <laughs> who's no longer as great in my book because his ego is too great. You know, when you're debating an opinion on a player, just just – be normal and sane about it. and uh, Or don't even talk to me, dude. I, I didn't ask him to respond to me. I'm just letting him know while he's pounding his chest upon, you know, Sexton's out of there that, well, Ray Ray McLeod looks worse in this game. And then he has to come back and basically arguing that, no, Sexton had another muff. He's worse. Well, what's that about? It's about his choice being correct. And the only reason I said anything was to let him know that stop being that way. I wish I could say that to all Sports media personnel everywhere. We don't care about your predictions, especially when they call, pick games. You know, they do the game picks, and then they, at the end of their shows, say, oh, I had six of ten, right? You had four of Nobody listens to that. We all turn it off. Nobody cares about the picks, other than do they pick my team or not. When they go and pick all the other games, nobody listens. Nobody cares. But, you know, when, when they're calling a game, let's say, on CBS, and they have the experts, and they have eight people, and it's the Steeler game, I do care if who picked the Steelers and who didn't for fun. That's fun. But I don't care who they pick in the other games at all. And I don't keep track of how many times Terry Bradshaw picked the Steelers each week versus picking another team, et cetera. I don't keep track of that. I don't care. 
So, I mean, when your local media people are picking games all the time and comparing their picks and who's winning in the picks, that's just their egos. That's all about them, and it has nothing to do with being a sports fan or enjoying them or caring about them or your team. And so when they're making predictions on who makes the final roster and who doesn't, nobody cares. And when we dispute them and they argue back against us, it just shows that it's more about their ego and their being right than them providing information to us and offering us opinions uh, about things just in a general fun and informative way. No, it's about them being right. And that is sad. It's sad. And Alex Kazora is just as sad as anyone else in that regard. He cares way too much about being right. And again, I know I've said this before, locally in Pittsburgh, one of the guys who isn't like that at all is Bob Pompiani. He's just not like that. Um, you know, he, he may be the only one who, who never really puts himself out there and then reasserts himself as being right. It doesn't matter to him. He doesn't like to argue, though. He has also admitted that. I've heard him on the radio admit that he's just never been an arguer. So that's probably part of it, too. But I honestly think it's just humility. If you have, if you have humility in your heart as a person, you realize that you, know, you can make a call, but whether or not you're right or wrong on it is irrelevant. But what isn't irrelevant is when someone tells you you're wrong all the time. That's relevant. When someone's constantly telling you you're wrong when you say something because they know more than you because they're a sportscaster or whatever, you can't let that go. That's not about fighting for being right. That's about fighting for not being abused by someone who really has no right to be superior. And you know what? If someone is superior in knowledge in a certain area, they don't have to tell you it. You just, they just, they are. People are respected when they have intelligence. Intelligence. When you have a certain level of knowledge and skill and intelligence in a field where that kind of stuff matters, it just comes to you. Business comes to you. Clients come to you. People turn to you for advice. It just happens. You don't need to keep saying, I know things. Come to me. I'm right here. Oh, look, flagging. I was right. I was right. What is that about, you know? It's, 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 it's a competition, and all of these media people are competing with one another, but more depressing and pathetic is they're competing with the fans, and it's out of line, frankly. It's nasty. It's mean-spirited. It's completely unnecessary, and they look foolish, and I can't help trolling them. I can't help it. I'm sorry, because I don't like bad actors in the world. I don't like when I turn on my Twitter and I'm just trying to enjoy my life and I see people just being jagoffs. It bothers me, especially when they're being jagoffs to fans. I see them bashing a fan and I step in and I defend the fan because I don't like the fact that guys that really have zero special skill that's worth a goddamn thing. Like I said, I interviewed Ben Roethlisberger. And that gives them the right to somehow slam a fan where they don't know. That fan might watch the games every week 25 times. That fan might know everything about every move that an athlete makes. Who knows? It's very easy to have extreme knowledge about a sport if you want to and just be a fan. You can be a chef in a restaurant and have more knowledge than Alex Kazora. It's true. It's true. It wouldn't be hard. There are a lot of things out there to learn in this world. There are a lot of books to read. You know, there's a lot of information to study in your free time. You can learn how to play six different musical instruments. You can write and record albums on your own. You can, you know, there are, there's a lot of information and skills to learn while doing a job that isn't being a sports writer. And you can have every bit as much information or more than the job these guys do. And, and it's depressing that 
they somehow need to let you know and have it be acknowledged that because they have a press pass or write on a blog or talk on a radio, that somehow their opinion is better than yours. And it's just not true. It's just like they just got the job. And, and here's another thing. It used to be that sports writers were better because they wrote well. And maybe you can't write. Well, these guys can't even write well anymore. It doesn't even matter. Not that they ever could. Gene Collier has covered sports and is a columnist. Excellent writer. There's a writer for you. Very witty, very intelligent, great writer. So, you know, so he at least has, you know, ascended into a profession that uh, where his skill is shown. But most of these guys, they're not even good writers. And then they go on the radio and they're not even good voices. They don't even have good radio voices. They're, they're press people. They just don't even sound good. And they speak improper English. And they mispronounce names. They call Quincy Roche Roche. They call Najee Harris Najee Harris. They <laughs> the only name that, 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 that we don't know the correct pronunciation yet is Pat Fryermuth. Is it Pat Fryermuth or Pat Fryermuth? We don't know yet. So we have to have that clarified. But we already had, anybody who was paying attention, I clarified Quincy Roche, not Roche, and Najee Harris, not Najee. And that one was clarified by the running back himself. But people are still out there saying Najee, Najee. And guess what? If you try to correct them like Dale Lolly, he will continue to say Najee for the rest of his life. Not because he, oh, it's just, I can't, I can't change it. Or not because, oh, what difference does it make? No. Because he'll be goddamned if he'll ever admit he's wrong at anything. At anything. Dale Lolly is never wrong. Ever. And not only that, he laughs about it all. Najee. <laughs> people say this. Can you believe it? <laughs> They're so dumb. People actually think that another running back other than the one I think is the best is good. <laughs> he stinks. <laughs> it's horrific. It's a horror show. Anyway, <clears throat> just quickly onto the rest of the game. Unfortunately, yeah, I think not. Jameer Jones, in my opinion, is going to make it as the fourth outside linebacker for the Steelers. Undrafted out of Notre Dame. A very, I think he led the team in tackles. I believe he had eight and five solo. He had a sack again. He led the team in the preseason with two and a half sacks. He's good on special teams. Uh, there's nothing about him that hasn't been, this guy's a quality player who belongs on the 53. So I don't think they're keeping more than four outside linebackers. So I think that means they're going to cut Cassius Marsh, and I think that they're going to cut Quincy Roche. So pronouncing his name won't even matter for much longer. That's what I believe. I think that uh, he's, the, he's the real success story of the preseason because he's an undrafted guy who's going to take a roster spot over a drafted guy, Roche, and a signed guy. A guy they re-upped and signed again in, in Cassius Marsh. So I, I, I believe that. But we'll see. We'll see if I'm right or wrong on that. The punting job is a tough one because I, I was not impressed by uh, Harvin's punting in this game. Uh, he of the, I believe, seventh-round pick, punter. Uh, he wasn't booming them. In fact, his average was just a little bit like a yard and a half less per punt. They each punted four times, Jordan Berry and... Um, uh, Percy Harvin. Is it Percy? Presley. Presley Harvin III. And uh, I, don't, I don't know. I was disappointed by the strength of leg of Harvin. And then their holders. And it's clear that uh, 
Chris Boswell prefers and is lobbying for and wants Jordan Berry to remain his holder. And the extra point that was missed at the end of the game was held by Harvard. Now, I rewatched the replay. And there was no obvious difficulty on a hold by Harvin. But Boz missed a kick. He pulled it to the left. And my question is, did he do it on purpose? I really do wonder. Does he it was that his little effort to try to to get to Jordan Berry to be the, the punter and be kept on the team? Did he intentionally sort of miss kick it to sort of make it look like see, I just can't kick when this guy's holding. I mean, would that be mean? No, I mean, I don't know. Wouldn't you help a friend? If a guy's your friend and you really like him out, wouldn't you maybe do that just as, I mean, it's pretty dirty pool, but I wouldn't put it past him. I'm not calling him a bad guy or a liar or anything for doing that. It's a preseason game. You know, I would never think, he would never do that in a regular season, but the point didn't matter, you know? And so, uh, and it was at the end of the game, so it even mattered less, you know? The score was a blowout. The game was pretty much over couple minutes left or whatever so it was a completely meaningless play so but i wouldn't put it past him so i don't know i don't know if they're going to keep uh barry i hope they don't i hope they keep their draft pick harvin i want someone interesting because he's unique and he's a rookie and he can throw the football don't forget he has that in his back pocket that trick play where he could throw a really good pass and uh and complete a ball on a fourth down trick play. So I, I like that aspect of his game too. Yeah, I think they gotta go with him. I hope they cut Barry. Um running backs is another question. Benny Snell stinks. Uh, I'm tired of hearing people act like he's anything but bad. And he stunk last night. And he had one run for 17 yards, and otherwise I think he averaged like 1.8 yards a carry on his other carries. Uh he stinks. And he he, he runs laterally. And he doesn't look big. They keep talking about him like he's some sort of a muscle runner, big runner, short yardage. They tried to use him in short yardage last year. Connor was the man in short yardage. Connor, Connor as, as bad as Connor was, he was he should have been a three-down back because everyone else stunk. And Snell stinks. So I hope they cut him. Uh, I hope they don't cut um, Kalen Balazs uh, because I thought he was pretty good. And I think he's interesting, and I hope I hope they cut Snell. But we'll see. They may un- unfortunately cut Balazs. But that's who's going, either Balazs or Snell. There was also an issue after the game in that uh, Anthony McFarland didn't, wasn't even there. The, the Scott sort of quicker running back. And neither, neither was Zach Banner. And that's an issue. Zach Banner won the right tackle starting job last year, and like second play of the game or whatever, he pulled his knee, ripped his knee. So he hasn't, he really hasn't played at all, has no real experience for us playing tackle. And he's had 12 snaps last week, and that's it. That's it. That's all he's had all preseason. And he's supposed to be our starting right tackle in Buffalo on September 12th. Doesn't make a lot of sense. And he doesn't even make the trip with the team. And Tomlin said in the press conference that a couple of players were left home just to get some medical attention, that it would be better for them, he thought, to stay back and get some needed medical attention. Well, first of all, nobody knew that uh, um, Anthony McFarlane was injured, so that's troubling. But secondly, why is Banner's knee after surgery having problems? Or do they both have COVID? Was he talking about COVID? Because they both didn't even make the trip medical treatment like the game doesn't the buffalo game's not for over two weeks still 
What, 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 what? They couldn't make a trip and fly in and fly out to a game to be with their teammates? Well, they were going to be in the tub all day? I, I, I don't buy that. I think they could have COVID, you know, because they're not, again, they're not required to reveal anything to us until the season starts. Uh, and additionally, Cam Kennedy, the long snapper, he was dressed and then he, they said he got sick and then they didn't use him at all. Maybe he has COVID. There might be an outbreak of COVID happening on this mostly vac- vaccinated Steelers team. And maybe even some breakthrough cases uh, with the vaccinated. And maybe that's what happened with Canada. But anyway, I don't think he's making the team as the long snapper. The other guy whose name escapes me right now, I think it's Koontz. I think he's Christopher Koontz or someone Koontz. I think he's going to be the long snapper. So that's another change. Uh, other issues. I didn't see much from the secondary, that I, except that I do think that James Pierre looked good. And I actually think I would like that guy playing as a starter. So that being said, Cam Sutton hasn't looked good really in coverage this spring. They think he's really good in coverage, and that's what he does best. He probably is, but he hasn't shown it. James Pierre looks good all around, including coming up to play the run and everything. And what I would do, this is probably not what they'll do, but what I would do if I were the Steelers is I'd start at cornerback on the outside in the base defense, James Pierre opposite Hart, uh, um, opposite uh, Hayden. And I would, uh, I would leave, uh, I would leave Sutton on the bench until you go to nickel. Now they play most of their downs in nickel set anyway. So just like you saw, Mike Hilton on the field a lot, and he seemed like he was basically a starter. That's the way you'll see Sutton. But I don't think he should actually start as the outside corner. And I don't think he should ever play outside corner unless... I think he should be the backup... What is that? The right cornerback? I don't know, right versus left, Hayden. I think I think the cornerback, the starting cornerbacks on this Pittsburgh Steelers team should be James Pierre and uh, and Joe Hayden. And that's that's who they should be. And I think Cam Sutton should be the third cornerback on the team as the slot corner, but also be the backup to James Pierre. But then who's the backup slot corner? I don't know. I don't know. But um, I, that's what I would do with the cornerback situation. I would just keep them each in a position. And not what, they, what they're probably going to do is they're going to start Cam Sutton on the outside opposite Hayden and then when they go to the nickel they're going to slide him inside to the nickel position and bring in Pierre I don't like that it's too much moving around too much changing up responsibilities too for Sutton and I know he's real smart and that's what they like about him but bottom line is this they made a mistake and let Hilton go and they're replacing Hilton with Sutton and Hilton's the better nickel cornerback period and I don't care that they said Hilton wasn't very good in coverage. He was good enough. And I don't care that they say Sutton's really good in coverage. He's not so much better than Hilton that he's overall better nickel. No. Hilton was the better nickel cornerback, period. And they let him go, and they made a mistake there. <clears throat> so they're going to take a step back and have Sutton be the nickel, and he's not as good. And that's it. That's what's going to happen. And now as far as the cornerback position, I think James Pierre might be as good as the guy they let go. So that might be a wash on that one. But I think the one position on the defense where they're going to drop off a little from last year is they lost Mike Hilton, and they're going to replace him with Cam Sutton, and he's not as good. And that's what I think. But look, 
Cam Sutton's a decent player, but Hilton was a great player. Hilton was a star at cornerback in the slot. He was a star, and I'm tired of all the bashing. People talk down on him because, oh, he couldn't cover. He couldn't cover. He got beat by some big guys. He was too short. He was too short. He was a star, and that's why he got paid like one. He was a star, and he got paid what like one for a slot corner. He's not a starting corner, and he never will be a starting corner, but he, he is a great player in the slot, and they're going to miss him. And Sutton is not as good as him, and they paid the inferior player, period. And all the talking heads that know it all said he's the better player because he can play outside, he's more good, in, he's better in coverage and all that. So they're just wrong. I mean, you just watch him. He's not as good in coverage as they're saying. He's just not. And frankly, I don't think he's good enough to be a starting corner in the NFL, and I don't think he ever will be, Cam Sutton. So if they make Cam Sutton the starting corner, and that's how they use him, and then slide him in uh, to play the slot too, like he's some great star, I think it's going to hurt the Steelers. I really do. But we'll see. I trust the Steelers' judgment on the matter in the end. So even though I do think it was a mistake to let Hilton go – I think they overestimated the talents of Sutton. I think they're seeing that now. But I think they'll do the right thing in the end and just leave him in the slot. I think he'll be fine in the slot. Not as good as Hilton, but fine. And I think Pierre is going to be good on the outside. I think they'll do that. We'll wait and see. I, we'll see if I'm wrong or if I'm right on that. But we'll see who the starting cornerbacks are opening day. Who gets listed as a starter. We'll see. Um, the other question is defensive line. Who do they cut? But that's really a... Nobody cares. Is it is it Bugs or is it Carlos Davis? <clears throat> you know, uh, who cares? Uh, these guys, you, you look at them, it's so funny. Carlos Davis is a seventh-round pick out of uh, Nebraska, I believe, and Bugs is a sixth-round pick out of Alabama, something like that. One of them, I think it's Davis, is from last year, 2020. Bugs is from 2019. So they're very similar. They're both very young, one in 2019, one in 2020. They're both from major football schools, Nebraska and Alabama. They're both uh, low-round draft picks. Um, take your pick. I mean, I, I guess I, I actually like Bugs more. But I really do think they're only keeping one of those two now, and that's so that's the cut on the defensive line. Uh, there's also Henry Mondu, who I don't like, but – I think he's made the squad because he's very good on special teams. He makes a lot of tackles. He gets down there fast, and they like him on special teams. So I think he's in, and then one of Bugs or Carlos Davis is out. The issue of Stefan Tuitt is disturbing. Does he have an injury, or is it just grief over his brother? If it's grief over his brother, I'm sorry, enough's enough. I mean, we all lose people. It's hard. I know it was a very tragic circumstance, but it's time to play football. Uh, they shouldn't be babying him anymore. He needs to get to practice next week. If he's injured, that's disturbing because the guy's had an injury history. And last year was the only year he's ever gotten through the whole season for us. And if he's already injured in the offseason, that's troubling. They need him. He's a star when he plays. But he hasn't, to be, to be quite honest, on the whole for his career for the Steelers, he hasn't been healthy enough for my liking. So last year was a surprise, and he was great. He stayed healthy the whole year. But if he's injured coming into this year, that's troubling. But the defense on the whole isn't troubling. They're going to be very good, uh, aside from those issues noted at cornerback and the slot, et cetera. On offense, boy, that offensive line is troubling. Zach Banner, if his knee's still bothering him, 
they started Dan Moore at right tackle. Uh, he of the fourth round draft pick. I'll just go with him. Just go with him. I mean, you can't you can't make the club from the tub. Wally Pip, blah blah blah. I know they signed Banner. I know he's a good story, but if they're liking what they're seeing from Dan Moore, then Dan Moore's your starter. Period. And Banner can get back in there if Moore gets hurt or if Moore starts looking crappy. Otherwise, we'll have to wait till next year or be the backup and wait till someone else gets hurt. That's it. That's what. I, that's where I'm coming from uh, with Zach Banner. I don't have any loyalty to him. I don't know how good he is or isn't. I've never been able to see him. Dan Moore looks pretty damn good out there. The Steelers seem to like him. I would just go with him. Then I'm bothered by Trey Turner. He didn't start at right uh, guard. And they started B.J. Finney. Now, it could have been just to get some work in for Finney, but maybe they liked Turner and because of his injury history. They just didn't want to aggravate anything. But that disturbs me because he's still young, Trey Turner. And... I think he's only 29, and I don't think they should be babying him. If the injury's healed, it should be healed. If he's if there's an issue where he might get hurt, then what are we doing? Why are we, you know, is that the best we get? So in other words, he's. I think they're uh, they're not starting him and not playing him at all against Carolina is a is a red flag. I think it's a red flag with both Zach Banner and Trey Turner. I think that if they were tough, strong, healthy players, they would have been in there. Um, and I think that the, it was not just to protect them. There wasn't Veterans Day off. It wasn't, you know, it's troubling. So I think it's quite possible we're going to be seeing uh, B.J. Finney uh, at some point this year. I think Trey Turner will start uh, in Buffalo, but looks like he's going to pull that groin again real soon or something because they're babying him way too much for my liking. So I think, unfortunately, even if he's good, you can exp- you can p- sort of pencil in a Trey Turner injury in the third or fourth week of the season and hope that B.J. Finney's ready to go. And as far as Zach Banner, like I said, he may not even start in Buffalo. It could be they go with Dan Moore. We'll see. And as far as the other guys, well, we know Chooks hasn't, hasn't really looked real good at left tackle yet. We know Dodson looks pretty good at left guard. And we know Kendrick Green's hit and miss at center. So it... There's no two ways about it. The line, which we knew was going to be iffy and questionable, is still a, a red flag problem area for the Steelers. Um, as are Chase Claypool's hands. Uh, he's starting to drop a lot of things. And Chase Claypool, for all his potential and, and the shine that he had at the beginning of last year, he really faded in the second half of last year. And now his hands look problematic. And I'm not sure I like his attitude. He seems to be all about... He's too much A-B going on in there, and I don't know. Uh, that's a problem. He could be a superstar. He could blossom into a great player, or he could turn into a, just a big meh. You know. And, and if he does, if he does, I'm not that upset about or worried because I really like James Washington. I really think James Washington is ready to explode. And if he can stay healthy, if Chase Claypool starts to fade or drop balls or get an attitude problem or get an injury – I, I like James Washington's chances of coming in and impressing very much. And I also think Juju and uh, uh, Deontay Johnson are going to have good years. I think they're good players. I like Pat Fryermuth a lot. I think he's good. I think Abron is pretty talented. I dropped some balls, of course, but I think he's a pretty I think I like their talent. 
all around other than the offensive line is questionable and Ben is questionable in terms of how he holds up on the year. Will he be the good quality quarterback he was for half of last year? Will he be the good quality quarterback he was in the one quarter he played this preseason? Or will he fade and start to be uh, the less than good quarterback we saw from Haskins last night, for example? And by the way, let's stop talking about Dodds. Poor Dodds, he's really good. Uh, He came in and stunk last night. Dodds stunk, and then he got hurt. He's gone. If we want him on the practice squad, I know Ben loves him on the sidelines. That's just too bad. You know, it's too bad. I mean, he's just not a good enough quarterback, and let's stop pretending he he is, okay? And Haskins may not be either. I mean, he looked awful last night, and he had every reason to look really good and be better, and he looked worse than ever. And I just don't like his judgments. He dumps it off too easily. Uh, when he throws it long too often, the quality's not good. The accuracy's not there. He scrambles around too much. He, he doesn't sit comfortably in the pocket. He doesn't stay in the pocket and hang in there and keep looking downfield. His eyes dart to around him right away, and that's the sign of a bad quarterback. And he sh- and he throws short of the sticks, and they get tackled short um, because he's afraid, and he just dumps it off, and that's a sign of a bad quarterback. Um, we've seen a lot of it over the years prior to getting Ben Roethlisberger. Between Bradshaw and Roethlisberger, we saw a lot of that. So we're very familiar in Pittsburgh with average to bad quarterback play, and that's what Haskins gave us and Dodds gave us last night. And frankly, Mason Rudolph is average and a little above. He's pretty good. He's pretty good. He's a good backup. The The sad thing with me about Mason Rudolph is he's he's not the guy. I, I, I don't think he's ever going to become the guy. So uh, I wanted him to be, and I thought he could be. I really did, but I don't think so anymore. But he's a very good backup, actually. He's the, probably the best backup in my lifetime. He's better than Charlie Batch was as a backup. He's better than um, Byron Leftwich was as a backup. Who else do we have as a – Tom Zack. Tom, Mike Tomzak was a pretty good backup. Uh, he might be as good as Mike Tomzak as a backup. Um, but he's not going to ever be a really good starter. So, uh, yeah, I don't think we have one on the roster. I think we have to find our next Ben Roethlisberger, and it's going to be hard to do. Um, those are my thoughts on the last Steelers preseason game. I enjoyed uh, bashing Alex Kazora in the media. Come back for more Kazora bashing in the future. It's fun. And also for <laughs> media bashing in general. It's a nice cathartic out, uh, outlet for me, of course. Yes, but I'm really doing it for you, the fans, as well. Hopefully, some of you are in the local area and you uh, understand what I'm talking about regarding the arrogance and the superiority of these people. Now, probably most of you think they deserve it and you look up to them and you think they have some special knowledge and skill. You don't. I'm just telling you, you, you're wrong if you think. Don't believe that. You're just as smart as them. You know, if you watch the game and you care and you're passionate, you can analyze the Steelers just as well as them. Not almost as well, just as well, maybe better. Believe that. Because what these guys used to have was a skill for writing or a skill for speaking. But nowadays, they don't even have that. These are not good speakers, yet they're doing podcasts. They are not good writers, yet they're writing for publications and blogs. So understand that you're just as smart and good. It's nice to have them. I'm glad they're doing it. But guess what? They're making money off of it. And the only reason they are is because of fans. So you're paying their salary. Understand that, too. Be happy to be you. Love life. Enjoy the Steelers. Go Steelers. I love you.
Yabba da boop bop.